that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized none but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me a drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst, in that saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Well, I tell you, we learn an awfully lot from the way our Lord interacted with people. When we look at the life of a Christian, we look at the things that God has placed before us, we understand very quickly after we begin a study and we begin to mature and grow as Christians, what our duty as a Christian truly is. Our duty as a Christian is to go to others and make Christians. 
That was the Great Commission, wasn't it? Go into all the world and make disciples, right? Matthew 28, Mark 16. And we're going to culminate some efforts that we've been doing coming the 11th and the 12th of this week, or the next week. And what we are trying to do in that effort is to lead others to Christ. We asked the question tonight, and I've titled this sermon, How to Lead Someone to Christ. And as we read through the account that John has provided for us, and we, we learn about what Christ has done, we see a very multifaceted uh, thing about Him and His character, and in the way He goes about dealing with people. We see He's very multifaceted in, in personality. He was a complete human being, and He was able to do the things that he needed to do in this world. Paul said, I'm all things to all men. To the poor I'll be poor. To the Jew I'll be a Jew. He was saying that he could, he could connect with all people at, where, at whatever level they were in life. Where do you think Paul learned that? He learned it from the master teacher, didn't he? And so when we look at the Christ, how to lead someone to Christ. We want to use Him, the greatest soul winner to have ever lived, as our example. We want to look at exactly how He interacted with people. And we might be able to learn something. Why was Jesus the greatest soul winner? He cared about lost people. He cared about lost people. And He was willing to reach out to all who came across His path, no matter how difficult it was. This is the difficult situation in which we read about our Lord. And we're going to talk about some of those things of why that is the case. But he was willing to reach out. And this account of the Samaritan woman is no exception to the rule. He reached out and he reached out to her because he wanted her to be saved. See, in these verses that we read, we see Jesus doing what he did best. Saving souls. Trying to save souls. Not everyone took him up on it, so to speak, right? We see him speaking with a poor, lost, sinful woman. We can learn from that. And as we do, and as we learn from that, I want us to look at our own lives tonight. I want us to examine ourselves and want us to compare ourselves to the Christ. Now, we don't do it in an arrogant way. We don't try to compare ourselves to Christ, thinking that we're as good as He is or was and or will be. But we better be comparing ourselves to Christ because that's the measure that we want to reach. He's the rule stick. He is what we want to be and what we better be striving to be. But have you ever thought in your life, think back to when you first obeyed the gospel. For some of us that's been many years ago, but let's think back to the very first time we ever obeyed the gospel. Did you ever think this thought? I don't really know how to convert someone to Christ. I don't really know how to go about teaching someone how to be a Christian. If you haven't thought that, you're likely the only person in the world who hasn't thought that. Because none of us who've ever obeyed the gospel knew immediately the best way to go about converting. Oh, we had the information. But maybe our technique wasn't exactly what it should have been. We might have been a little bit offensive. We might not have gone about it exactly the right way. But we learned and we grew and we matured. As we consider this passage, I want us to do our best 
to learn from Jesus on how He led people to salvation. He's the greatest example. Following His example is better than any course or class we could ever take on how to lead someone to Christ. Let's join Him tonight as He meets the woman at the, at the well. As He begins to talk to her and as He demonstrates Himself as the greatest soul winner the world has ever known. And we will begin with the confrontation. In the opening verses, we see the Savior. We see Him in His compassion, and we see Him in His humanity. He's a person. He lived as a man. He was a man. He was 100% man. He was all God. But He had the effects of this world cast upon Him just as we do. He still understood what it meant to be a person in this world, to face the things that we face, to understand the problems. The first thing that we notice about him is he's walking. He wasn't riding in a chariot. He wasn't riding on an animal. He was walking because he was a poor man. He didn't have anything in this life. So that tells us we don't have to be wealthy in this life to be worthwhile, to be worth something. And at the same time, those who are not wealthy in this life, they also, we should never look at them as if they are not worthwhile. Christ was as poor as a person could be. He was homeless, in fact, wasn't He? He said that. He said, I don't have a place to lay my head. The foxes have holes, the birds have nests. The very Son of God doesn't even have a place to lay down. He had to borrow a bed. He had to borrow a donkey to ride into Jerusalem. He had to borrow a tomb in which to be laid in. He didn't have anything. He was a walking man. He was poor. Now, could he have afforded anything he wanted? If that is what he desired, he could have had anything this world physically had to offer. But he chose to live as a common person. He chose to endure all of the hardships of this life. He knows what we face in this life, Hebrews 4, 15. That's why he had such compassion for the lost. You know, when we look over in Exodus and we read in Hebrews chapter 11, we read about that great prophet Moses and, and we honor him for his denying himself the riches of Egypt for a season. And we ought to honor him for that. But that doesn't even compare to what Christ gave up. He gave up the very glory of heaven and He's walking along in this life. And do you know what He's concerned with? Bringing someone to salvation. What a better example that we can have in our lives. He was wanting to bring someone to salvation. So we see someone who's walking, the Savior. But we also see a Savior who is willing. He's willing. Well, that goes a long way, doesn't it? If we're going to be willing, or if we're going to try to lead others to Christ, we have to be willing to do the difficult task. We have to be willing to do the hard thing, the thing maybe we don't want to do. Notice what John said of Jesus. Remember he said he must needs go through Samaria? Hey, the average Jew would walk tens of miles to get around Samaria so they wouldn't have to go through that place because they hated the Samaritans. They hated them so badly that they wouldn't interact with them at all. They were a mixed race of Jews and Gentiles. They looked down on them worse than if they were animals. They thought better of a slave 
than they did of a uh, Samaritan. But Jesus was unaffected. The prejudice didn't bother him. Now we may not be prejudiced toward a group of people, but we may not be willing to do the difficult task. See, Jesus, the greatest soul winner the world has ever known, saw someone who needed salvation and he was willing to take that opportunity to deliver it. The next person we see as we look at this confrontation is the sinner. If you have a Savior, there has to be a sinner, right? And of course, that's the woman at the well. He positioned himself in the path of this woman. But isn't that what soul winners do? Don't soul winners position themselves in the paths of other people so they can come into contact and they can have interaction with them? Notice what time of day it was. It was the sixth hour of the day. That's noon in our time. That's the middle of the day. Now why is that significant? Why do you think John mentioned that it was noontime? Well, it's about the hottest part of the day. Do you know what the custom was? The women would go out early in the morning when it was still cool. They would go out in a group together and they would go to this well. They would gather the water and they would take it back and they would water the camels, the livestock. They would water whatever needed to be watered themselves. But this woman, she's going in the middle of the day. Why? She was a Samaritan. She had been ostracized. I'm sure she wanted to go in the middle of the day to avoid the insults and the attacks of the other women because she was so hated. And so Jesus positioned Himself in her path. If we want to dedicate ourselves to God, God will always dedicate Himself to us, won't He? We see Jesus doing that. We see Him reaching out, placing Himself in this woman's path. That's why He's the greatest soul winner. Like the Samaritan woman, we have a lot in common with her. Those people who are outside of Christ do. Christians don't have anything in common with her. We're in a covenant relationship with God. But those who have fallen away, those who have never obeyed the gospel, do you know what they are? They're estranged from God. They've been ostracized from the presence of God, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Their actions and their behaviors, their sins have separated them from our God. And those people, unfaithful Christians or those who've never obeyed the gospel, they needed the exact same thing that this woman needed. Jesus placed Himself in her path so she could learn of Him, Matthew eleven twenty nine. Do you remember what He said? I'm meek and lowly. Come and learn of me. That's what He's done here. I think we see something very important in this interaction between Jesus and this woman. God is willing to forgive. Even a Samaritan. He's willing to forgive. But what we notice is He first requires obedience. We read the complete story as with a lot of other people, what would Jesus say? Do you remember the woman caught in adultery? What did Jesus tell her? Go sin no more. That's a short phrase, a short statement, but what does that mean? Go do what the law of Moses commands you to do and be faithful to God. Sin no more. Those people who are not followers of God in the world, they're sinning as we speak. Those who have obeyed the gospel, yet they've fallen away, they're sinning as we speak. And Jesus simply says, go sin no more. 
But it requires something. It requires obedience and an effort to do something. I don't understand the denominational world trying to describe to anyone that will listen, all you have to do is believe on Jesus and you'll be saved. Why in the world would we think for a moment that we can simply just say, I believe in Jesus and then go on living however we want to when He had to go through so much for our salvation? He didn't just simply say, well, I love the world. He had to give Himself. He had to die on the cross. There are no sins that are so bad that God cannot forgive them if we will repent and do what He's asked us to do. And that's what Jesus was doing here. He was placing Himself in the path of this woman. How can we lead someone to Christ? Well, we first have to come into contact with them, right? We have to be able to have some kind of an interaction. As we look at Jesus, we notice that He goes from the confrontation... And our second point and example is now we see a conversation. It seems simple, but it is, isn't it? Notice as he was talking to her, Jesus was patient. He was able to talk to her about something other than just the living water to begin with, wasn't he? I think we overlook that sometimes. What was he speaking with her about? Well, he was talking to her a little bit about history, wasn't he? They were talking about some common things that they had in common. He had something in common with her as far as Jacob was concerned. So they had some things in common. They talked about water. He simply asked for a drink. Is it important that we're able to have interaction with someone? Can we talk about something besides the Bible? That doesn't mean the Bible isn't important. The plan of salvation is the most important thing. But how do we go about doing that? We have to be patient just like He was. He didn't have a way to draw out the water. So this request that He made, give me a drink, caught her by surprise, didn't it? Why was she surprised? Well, first of all, she was a woman. That was kind of out of character for the culture of the day. A rabbi wouldn't be talking to a woman in public, but on top of that, she was a Samaritan woman. She said, you're a Jew. How is it that you're speaking to me? And then he offered her something. We see his patience and we see his interaction and then finally he gets to what's most important. It's not too hard for us to talk to someone about things that we enjoy in this life, right? One day, uh, Brother Carl brought brought a fellow up here and he's looking at some things we're doing to the building and we're going to make some security changes and and I got to talking to him, and, and he's a beekeeper. Well, we talked for a long time, didn't we, Carl, about keeping bees, and that was so easy, because I enjoy doing that. We talked about gardens and, and things like that, because I enjoy doing that. But you know, I got to thinking about it after we left, and you know what I didn't talk to him about? I never could work my way around to talking to that man about what his religious preferences were. And I didn't even think about it at the time. I didn't even think about it. And I'll take that chance the next time. And I, I left and, and I thought about that later on. I said, I spent all that time talking to him about things that I enjoy, but things that really don't matter. But I didn't mention Jesus to him. We were standing right beside the building where we meet. And that slipped my mind. But he offered her a different kind of water. He goes from things that really don't matter in this world 
Because in the end, water and food and clothing and stuff like that, it's not going to matter. We're not going to take it with us, and every one of us are going to leave this life one way or the other. But then he finally did get around to talking about a water that mattered, the living water. She said, well, give me that water. I don't want to have to come back and, and draw water, and I don't want to be thirsty again. He told her she could drink from Jacob's well every day and she'd still be thirsty. But this water, the important water, she could drink from it and she'd never be thirsty again. What good does it do if we can't talk to Jesus or talk to someone about Jesus and eternal life? What good does it do or what difference will it make if I'm learned in any other Category of life. And I can't talk about the most important thing. We talked about water. And then he talked about wickedness. Talked about wickedness in the world. This poor woman, in an effort to awaken her spiritual need in her, Jesus simply begins to tell her why she needs what she needs. And he does it in a way that's not arrogant. And if, if there was anyone ever in the world that could, could puff themselves up, it would have been our Christ, our Lord. He begins to point out the sinfulness in her life, doesn't he? But he doesn't do it in a way that, that makes her think that she's not worth anything at all. She's worth something. She was worth saving, and Christ saw that. He says, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right, because you've had five of them. And the one you're fornicating with now isn't your husband either. What did he expect out of her? To stop doing that. To live like he wanted her to live. If she was going to be able to make access or take advantage of that living water, she had to stop living in sin. Can you imagine the turmoil that must have been in her life because of the way she lived and the choices that she made? And you know Jesus could understand that and He could see that. He felt what she felt. He knew very well what was going on in her mind. Her heart must have been in constant turmoil. Proverbs thirteen fifteen. You know, someone may, may look at this interaction and they may think that our Lord was a little rude. Maybe He's a little hard on her. He just point blank told her, you're living in sin. Well, that's the truth of the matter, isn't it? But you know, we can't say, well, it's the truth. I'm going to say it any way I want to. We have to say it in a way that demonstrates love. Christ demonstrated love to her. He didn't say those things to her because He wanted her to feel ashamed. He wanted her to be ashamed of what she was doing, but because it was sinful. That's what He wanted. But you know, no one can come to Christ until we first understand where we are in relationship to Christ. We have to be able to understand where I am deficient in my relationship. And Jesus was able to show this woman that we have to be able to do the same things. We have to be able to teach someone and show them from the Bible the things they're doing wrong, the things they need to do, so to bring about what Paul said was godly sorrow. The sorrowness in our hearts that makes us sad that we've hurt God. And it makes us want to repent because that's what leads to repentance, right? Godly sorrow. Conviction is of vital importance. Without being convicted, and us understanding that, 
Hey, I'm in a lost state. I need to change what I'm doing. John 6, 44. On through verse 65. We have to understand that when you look at Ephesians 2, 1. There's another thing I think that, that we notice here. God isn't nearly as concerned or afraid of revealing our sins as we are of our sins being revealed, is He? That ought to mean something to us. He'll do whatever He has to to bring us to repentance. We don't have to agree with Him. But if we don't, we can't be saved. We have to understand, and this woman was able to understand immediately, that Jesus was something special. They talked of water, they talked of wickedness, they talked of worship, didn't they? Jesus was able to talk to her about the ways in which we worship. And and do you notice that it didn't take a 16-week period for her to understand what to do to to be faithful in the sight of God or, or how to worship Him properly? We don't have to go through 16 weeks or 16 classes and it's okay to do those things. But we don't have to take a course. All we have to do is mimic what He did. They were already on the subject of religion, weren't they? This woman, she was able to talk about it. She must have been a believer in God, though she was believing the wrong thing. I think that's another thing we have to consider and understand. Do you think she was intentionally worshiping incorrectly? No, not at all. She believed what she believed because that's what she had been told. And she didn't go through the right channels to understand exactly what she needed to do. But Jesus, seeing that opportunity, He began to explain to her. He said, we do know who we worship and how we worship. You worship, but you don't understand how you're doing it or why you're doing it. You're doing it incorrectly. Her True worship is never founded simply in, in uh, ritual, is it? Simply in exercise. Someone can perform an exercise, a religious rite, that doesn't make it correct in God's sight. But He got her attention, didn't He? He got her attention. She understands, or she understood, came to understand that to worship God must be done in spirit and in truth. She understood that you have to understand why you're worshiping the way in which we worship, right? That's the truth. The Spirit's the proper attitude. Doing it for the correct reason. Not sitting there wishing we were somewhere else, right? Wishing that, that, I wish that brother would end that prayer. He's been going on now for at least two minutes, you know. We have to be careful allowing our, our minds to wonder. You know, there are billions of people who give themselves every week in some way, in some type of an external religious rite. And they're not doing it neither in spirit or in truth. Worship is a state of the heart that exalts God, and that has to be done a certain way. It is, it is a sacrifice that we offer. That's how we offer our sacrifices, the fruit of our lips, right? The singing, the praying, the preaching. We consider Christ as we stand over the, the supper table. We give of our means, and, and we appreciate what God has done to us. There are certain things we have to do, but we have to do it in the correct way. Well, they also talked about Wisdom. Talked about wisdom. She revealed that she was concerned about salvation. That's wise. That's wise on her part. 
Her problem was she wasn't going to the right source and Jesus presented Himself. Do you see what a soul winner He is? He pointed her in the right direction. He put her at the, at my dad would say, at the head of the stream. Not one of the tributaries that someone where someone can make a mistake. Jesus gave this woman all she needed at that time to gain salvation. I want us to talk about one other thing. We see the confrontation. We see that it's very necessary to have a conversation to be able to connect with people. That's what soul winners do. That's what Jesus did. Now in this example that we read of in John chapter 4, we see a conversion. We see a conversion, I believe, of a sinful woman. She revealed, or Jesus revealed Himself to her, and she went and told someone else. She went and told the man that, that she thinks that she found the Christ. He told her everything she ever did in her life. and She says, is this the Christ? I think she was a believer. We don't read anything else about her. You notice that a lot of people will look at this though and, and they'll say, well, all she had to do was believe. Well, at that time, she lived under the law of Moses. She, she was worshiping incorrectly. Jesus pointed her to the right source to worship God in spirit and in truth, to do it correctly, to do it the way God has asked us to do it, not the way that... Uh, the, the Samaritans did it. They had a little bit of the, of the Jewish religion. They had a little bit of the Gentile religion. And we can go all the way back to Jeroboam and thank him for that, can't we? He set up the golden calves in Dan and in Bethel. And he said, you worship, there's your God. Well, they were trying to worship the God of heaven, but they were doing it exactly like the, the heathen nations were doing it. But I believe this woman was converted but she didn't have to be converted the way that we have to be converted today. But I believe it was still, nonetheless, very incredible. I think it was very incredible that she was willing to give herself to what Christ had said. Now, that's not always going to happen. Now, we need to understand that. Every time we study the Bible with someone or we encourage someone to come visit the congregation or whatever the case may be, they're not always going to be converted. In fact... Brethren, very few of them are going to be converted. That's what Christ said in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. But that doesn't stop us. We still continue. A great soul winner is a great soul winner because he's doing what God's asked him or her to do. And when someone obeys the gospel, that one's salvation for that person makes it all worth it. It's very incredible. She shows her, uh, her excitement I believe she's decided here to, to throw off that old lifestyle. Now when we come to Christ today, we don't do it the way this woman did. Christ lived under the old law. Christ wasn't a Christian. right? He was a Jew living under the law of Moses. So how do we come to, come to Jesus? I don't read about a, mor- a mourner's bench. I don't read about praying through, asking Jesus to come into our hearts. What I read about is a very logical, straightforward, easy plan of salvation that we must fulfill if we're going to be found faithful in the eyes of God. We have to listen to Jesus just like this woman did. John eight twenty four. I believe that Jesus is who He said He was. And if we don't, we'll die in our sins. I have to repent of past sins. I have to be willing to stop living a life just like she was. She was willing to turn away from that lifestyle. And I have to be willing to follow after the Christ. 
I have to be willing to confess that He is who He said He was, that I believe He's the Son of God prior to baptism. And isn't that what she did? Doesn't she go and, and talk about this man who knew everything about her? And she said, isn't He the Christ? She said, I, I know about the Messiah. I know He's coming. Well, we have to do that. We have to recognize and allow people to know that we recognize Jesus is the Son of God. Now, she didn't have to be immersed in water. That's not how the Jewish religion worked, but we're not Jews and she wasn't a Christian. We have to get down into the water just like the eunuch did. Have you ever wondered why Philip and the eunuch went down into the water? Because it's immersion. That's what the word means. That's how it should have been translated. Immersion. He didn't sprinkle him or pour water on him. He had to go down in the water with him and immerse that man and bring him up so he could walk in a new life, Romans 6, 3, and 4. That is just how salvation works, isn't it? I believe this is something that is amazing when we read about Christ as the world's greatest soul winner. What was it that this woman... Or what was it that took this woman from being hard-hearted, a hardened sinner who was dead to God to being a believer under that particular law? What transformed her? What did it take for her to be changed? Brethren, it simply took an interaction. It took a conversation she was converted. Just that simple. Now don't be disappointed when you talk with someone, you have an interaction, you have a conversation, and they walk away not interested in the Bible, not converted, don't even want to talk about it. Don't be disappointed. It's hurtful. We hurt for them. But never allow it to stop you from doing what you know God wants us to do. Christ touched her life, and when He touches the life of someone, it means something. Now, He's not living in this world today. So it's up to all of us, you and me and anyone who professes to be a Christian, to touch the lives of other people with Christ through our effort. We're going to be able to do that again here before long. On that Monday, the 11th, we're going to be up here. And if you wanted to go out with us the last time, you were unable to do that. We're going to go out again on Monday and Tuesday. And I understand everybody can't do that. Some people have to be on the job and it's difficult to get away. But we're going to have an opportunity on the 11th and the 12th to meet up here with a bunch of other people who are coming up to help us. And we're going to go out into this community and we're going to have some door hangers. They'll be here on the 8th. And we're going to hang them on the door. If we run into somebody, we're going to talk to them. And we're going to invite them to this open forum. We want to introduce them to the Christ. We want to be able to talk to them and have a conversation and show them that we care and interact with them in such a way that would encourage them to come and see what we're all about so that they might have a chance to be saved in this world. There's not a greater thing that we can do in this life than to lead someone to Christ. How do we lead someone to Christ? We just simply do it. And we do it the way Christ did it. There's not a better example. If you've never obeyed the gospel, you need to come to Him. 
If you have, you've become unfaithful. Come back to Him. He still offers the, the, the water, uh, the living water. It's always available to us as long as we have air in our lungs and we have life in our bodies. As long as we'll accept it. If you need to come back to Christ, if you've been unfaithful, if you need to repent and confess your sins, whether publicly or privately, do that as we stand and as we sing.